0: the series that we've been doing on what has the Ten Commandments got to do with me. Um, and um, uh, I hope I hope it's added something to your life. I hope it's just because sometimes we get a lot of information, but, you know, ultimately you want it to be transformation, don't we? And I pray that what we've been sharing and teaching and just uh, over these uh, weeks has been incredibly beneficial to you. But, you know, when we think about the Ten Commandments, we can think sometimes that maybe there are they're a uh, outdated or you know um, something that uh, just isn't relevant anymore, but the reality is is even though they're 3,500 years old, they still apply. I-, I-, I see them as timely and timeless uh, principles for life. And uh, God kind of spoke them, uh, gave them to Moses, Moses gave them to the children of Israel. Uh, they were a newly formed nation coming out of slavery, and they needed some direction. They needed some uh, things set in concrete that would just s- stabilize and help them to grow as a nation. And as you know, the Jewish nation from that point grew to quite a large nation today, and they're still there. So these things that we talk about uh, are, are, are important. Um, you know, I see in the world today that we have sometimes uh, established quite high living standards, but we have quite low moral standards. And a lot of the uh, Ten Commandments are to deal with sometimes the moral standards of the world. Uh, because you know what? If, if, uh, we can ignore them to our peril. Ignore those kind of uh, principles that God's laid down to our peril. And we see a world that's gasping uh, for breath. I tell you, in, in the midst of all the pain and hurt and heartache that people face. Because of just, just sometimes just coming and simply... Just uh, being obedient to simple, simple thoughts, simple principles on how to live our life. And that's what God has established. And they're still relevant, I believe, very much for today. If you agree with me, amen, uh, they are. And so we're going to address uh, one today. Uh, it's the Seventh Commandment, and uh, it's Exodus 20:14, And we'll just jump right in here. And it says this, you shall not uh, commit adultery. Okay, <laughs> amen. Hey, by the way, if 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 you don't, you know, please do if you feel to say amen. But if you, um, but if you don't want to, I know it could get a bit awkward with this subject. No, it's okay. Go for it if you want to. Amen it all the way through. I'm here to listen. Uh, but uh, we're going to talk about this now. Some of us uh, were wondering when we we're going to get to this one. <laughs> I had someone say last week, oh, "When we're we talking about adultery," I say, "Why do you need it?" You know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> No, I didn't say that. That's a lie. Fuck, forgive me. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate that some of our, uh, uh, our, because adultery—it's five words. This verse, but it, there is a lot said that just these five words. And you've got to appreciate the nation of Israel is coming out of slavery, and you know, in that slavery, uh, unfortunately, the the, uh, the Jewish people, uh, the Jewish nation, were treated badly. The women were raped. There were um, there was things happening. They were just slaves. And so when God established this law and said, don't commit adultery, th- like all the families and all the men and the Jewish people are going, yay. <laughs> that means our women won't be raped and and, and all those type of things. Yeah, God's saying, don't do that. It's not good for you. It, it destroys your life. And so, praise God, He brought them out with a good thing. He didn't, as uh, Pastor Malcolm said last week, He didn't bring them out of bondage to take him into bondage because the Ten Commandments are not a bondage. They're a fr- freedom. They're a... There, are, there are a way to live an incredibly blessed life, and so, so we we talk about this subject today. And as I approach this subject, I'm very aware that our sexuality can be one of great joy, or it can be one that also can have an element of pain and hurt involved in in all that whole subject. And so today, I sincerely want to tackle it with with tact and also understanding, and how we talk about it. Okay, and so uh, let's go for it. You're, you're okay? Yep, righto. I'm glad you say now you're okay. <laughs> uh, the definition of adultery is pretty simple. It's sexual relations between a man and a married woman or a woman and a married man. Okay, that's just pretty pretty straightforward and pretty simple, but it's, it's the, the reality of it. Um, and I thought the way to do maybe approach this was just first to just give a little bit of a cultural perspective, Uh, and to relate that just for a moment. uh, Look, I'm I'm well aware that most of us would be well aware of the incredible uh, things, there's stuff out there, it's not good, but just let me draw it to your attention. I was just, uh, this morning I went to a little IGIA shop before church just to buy some ice um, in regards to the children's church and on the way to church. And and I I was just waiting uh, for the the person behind the desk just to um, ring it up. And I noticed the headline on the Sunday Mail I actually don't buy the paper. I, I'll read the paper online a little bit, but I don't buy the paper. But I did take note of this uh, headline because it talked. It said, S.A.S. Soldier, which is a Australian, um, Australian forces, S.A.S. Soldier in Iraq is being stabbed uh, at a brothel in Iraq. Uh, while visiting a brothel that was the headlines big black letters s a s that's not perfectly what it said i 'm just trying to remember s a s soldier stabbed at a brothel while while visiting a brothel and 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 as I thought about that, I thought well, he's probably not visiting the brothel just to have a chat to anybody who's there uh, probably the re- the reason he's going to the brothel is obvious you would have to say wouldn't you and um and I was just thinking I was feeling a little uh you know the reality is he's stabbed and apparently he's in intensive care in a hospital in Iraq so he's been stabbed badly so someone's so someone's obviously he's been unguarded maybe didn't have any equipment on, and bang, he's been stabbed uh, there at that place. And I felt for him, I hope he comes through, and I hope he's okay. And the the second thing I felt was he probably didn't want to have his whole situation splashed across the front page of a a, a Queensland newspaper on a Sunday morning. Would you agree? He probably not finding that the most exciting kind of information to happen, and none of us would. Would anybody like us in displayed across the uh, front page of the newspaper? No, and so, uh, but I, I, as I thought about that, I just thought about the reality of the reflection of our culture, and how here we have, uh, might be a young man, older man, I thought, it's not a good, it's not a good reflection, you know, I hope that young, hope that young man's not married, <laughs> and, but it doesn't make it any better, it's a, it's a shame that he had to go to a brothel in there, unfortunately, and so it's kind of a reflection of the whole issues and what's happening in our world today. Uh, because we see the sexual culture of our world today is fairly, um, uh, fairly destructive and quite um, destructive. And you, in you, I was just aware that there is a, um, I'm not going to name the, the, the site, uh, internet site, but there's an internet site on, on, uh, on the internet, and it's a dating website. And there's not nothing wrong with all dating websites, but I don't agree with this one, because it's specific purpose. Is t- for um, for those who are married to, to find an extramarital affair, to have it cheating, to find someone who they can have an affair with, and that's why the website exists. It has 72 million users. 72 million. In 2015, um, someone hacked their website and took 30, got 32 million of the names of cheating spouses and publicly made them public on the internet and out of that unfortunately came a breakdowns more a breakdowns divorces and um, uh, more concerning is suicides because husbands and wives were finding out that their spouses were cheating on them and and as I started to look at this culture that we live in i think how that is that, that's really concerning because it's just reflective of the cu- culture that we live in are you with me still okay right on I'll keep going every day. You and I are being exposed uh, to the flood of sexual images via the internet or television. Via. And the worst, and and those websites and television companies are making millions of dollars, and they're not interested in your family's health and well being. They're interested in because they're making money. Money. The sex industry in the world today, or Australia in the world, is making oodles. Billions and billions of dollars. And so when I see that, something is very wrong with our culture because this sexual appetite is out of control. Language has even changed. I mean, if you just look at the word adultery, who even calls it adultery anymore? You know, it can be called a fling, a one-night stand. You know, um, it can be called an affair. Um, or my favorite, n- not that it's my favorite, it's um, <laughs> But someone said, "Oh, just harmless, consensual fun. media never present adultery in what, for what it really is, okay They always present an image of it that seems harmless and proper, even even tried to make it proper and even necessary of people, and they even say, "Well, it really just you need to explore yourself and develop your sexuality, and this is an opportunity to do that." That would be a lie, would you agree? The media rarely give us information uh, that on how it destroys families and breaks up marriages and breaks up relationships and destroys people. Rarely do they do that. So I, I don't really want to say much more, but there's a. Th- I think you can understand the cultural perspective. It's fairly gr- grim, to be honest, in our world today. It, it's just uh, it's, It wants to invade, and you've got to fight for it. You've got to invade this, to keep it out, keep it away, and just uh, say no to it. So let me give you a biblical perspective, okay? Let me just share it with a biblical per- What does the Bible say? Because the Bible has a lot to say. If, if, if all that God ever said was Exodus chapter, uh, you know, where it says you shall not commit adultery, that would be sad because there's a lot more to it than just those five words. So when it comes to God's opinion about sex, um, some people can assume that God uh, doesn't agree with sex or hate sex, and that's why He's written the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. But I've got to tell you this morning, that is far from the truth because God created us uh, with for us to enjoy and to, uh, the uh, sex and to enjoy the pleasure of it. God created it. God created it because He knows um, that it is something that is incredibly um, a part of, um, how can I put this? Not, uh, not that God expresses sexual relations with anybody, but a part of something that's an important part of Him. And I want to explain that. Um, God's view on sex is not a low view of sex, okay? God's view is a high sex. It's a high view of sex, wrong wording there. And he defines our sexuality and, and that in the context of um, what needs to be, um, how it would be best be outworked for the very best of our lives and how it can happen for the very best of our futures and our present and our future. Okay? And the context that he gives us is between a man and a woman in a committed marriage relationship. Okay, you can say amen about that one. Uh, that's the context. That's the narrative around God. Okay, but how you would? But maybe today you, or maybe someone you know, would say that is a very, uh, how could I put it, narrow-minded, even outdated, and behind the times view. And I'd like to say to you today uh, that the uh, that the Bible's view of sex is actually not behind the times. But beyond the times. Let me explain. So, while sex, there's a pleasurable element to it, um, it's more than the pleasurable element, it's more than just the um, ability, uh, the procreation of children or having conception of children, it's more than that. Sex is a signpost, okay, that points to the very nature of God Himself. And you may say, How is that? You know, how is that? Well, the first reference uh, to our sexuality is mentioned in the very second chapter of the whole book of the Bible, the very first book, but the second chapter, Genesis chapter two twenty-four. There it says, "Therefore, uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and uh, be joined to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. One flesh. And if you were to explore that one flesh for many different uh, thoughts about it, but here's the bottom line: the the, the word one." is a reference that shows that s- s- sex um, is a unique oneness between two individuals, okay? That's what it means. It's just a unique oneness between two individuals. And, it's not, and, and, and here's the deal. It's not just an isol- isolated idea in Genesis chapter 2, but it's mentioned also in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter six sixteen It says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two shall become what? One flesh. So again, we see this word popping up, one flesh. And what we learn is that sexual activity, uh, not just between a married couple, but also a licit sexual activity, whichever way it's you're involved is described a- as the both of those situations as people becoming one flesh, oneness, oneness together, unity together. And, it, and that's what's described, and we've got to understand both in Genesis 2 and 1 Corinthians. So whether it's in a marriage or outside of a marriage, it's still the same thing. It's not like God says, well, in a marriage, it's really great unity and oneness. Outside of a marriage, oh, no, it doesn't really matter. No, no, no. It still happens that you there's a oneness happens between people. So if we look at the word one, it also describes something else in the Bible. It's used to describe God, okay? In Hebrew culture. They used to pray this prayer every day. The Jewish people, and the prayer was found in Deuteronomy uh, chapter uh, four. I oh, sorry, sorry, chapter six, verse four, and it went this way. And it was it, it's what the Jewish people used to pray every day because the prayer actually gives us the character and the understanding of who God and what God's like. And so we see in Deuteronomy six four it says, "Hear, O Israel: The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Same word, same word used." In context, in 1 Corinthians, same word used in Genesis 2, the Lord is one. So this is interesting because if we, uh, as we look at that, uh, the word means, uh, in Hebrew, it means ehad, ehad. You don't have to remember that. This is a Hebrew word. But ehad doesn't mean one as in singular, but it means unity in diversity. And so, so it's not on its own, but it's a multiple people working together as one. That's what it means. Um, the best example of this could be if you're looking at a sporting team on the field, and they're really playing well together, and they, you know, they're doing well, kicking goals or whatever it is. You may look at that team, and you may say, "Man, they're really together," and you could say they're playing as one. And so we see this terminology can be used, and and we're not saying that there's just one person on the field playing. There's only one person on the field. No, no, no. We're saying there's a there's a whole bunch of people, but they're playing. So much together, so much in unity, so committed to each other, that its like this oneness that's happening and they're playing thus. They're probably winning the game because of that. So if you can picture that idea, then you can start to picture what God's like. And you might say, how so? How is that? Well, God, many times, Old New Testament, is seen as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so what we see is we see this diversity and, and of God, and, it's, and, and sometimes it's called the Trinity, sometimes it's called the Godhead, whatever you want to call it, but the truth is, it's a community of God, three persons, each distinct and unique, and yet they're moved together, they're one together, which can be a little difficult to grasp sometimes, but please understand that the reality of this is that uh, um, that when God had this oneness, when God had this oneness, he, even in, in, in Genesis, it sees when He created creation, He said, you know, He didn't say, I'm going to create, create, I'm going to put everything together, the sky, the seas, I'm going to create people in my image. No, He said, let us. What did He say? Us. Talking about the incredible um, uh, work of not just Him, but also His Son and also the Holy Spirit. So we've got to understand that there's a uniqueness and there's a power of their oneness together. Um, and that's pretty important to understand, because when we can understand that, we can then s- start to understand what this word really means. With that in mind, let's go back to Genesis 2:24. It says, "Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become what, one flesh he had." So can you see that the first time sex is mentioned in the Bible in Genesis chapter two is a word that God uses to describe himself? Because the act of sex between a man and a, a woman, uh, you have two individuals who are different and diverse, and yet they become one, okay? They reflect the very nature of God in their oneness, okay? So so God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit's oneness, please understand, their oneness is not s- sexual in nature, okay? That's been given reserve for humanity. Uh, God's, God's not got that happening. Uh, I'm just saying that there's a oneness between them. Um, if I could illustrate this, that the oneness between God, uh, the, S- the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If, remember when Jesus is being water baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And, and as He's been water baptized, He comes up out of the water, and, and uh, the Holy Spirit is present, and it says, uh, like a dove, uh, a light's on Jesus. And then it says, God, this is one of the times in Scripture where God actually verbally speaks, audibly speaks. And He says this, this is my Son, in whom I am what? Well pleased. So here we have God the Father, audibly speaking about God the Son, and the Holy Spirit um, coming on Him through the, in the form of a dove. Whether it was an actual dove or the form, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, all three were present, and we see God singing the praises of His Son. And you know, you've got to understand that God takes pleasure, and they all took pleasure in each other in the most purest sense. They all they were united; they were one. You know, they, were, they had each other's back. They were committed to each other. Even Jesus himself, when he was here on earth, said, you know what? I'm here to do my father's will. So there was this oneness. There was this commitment to each other. And so we see God says, how can people have what we got? This is amazing. What we've got, this relationship that we have is is amazing. Not one of us tries to outdo the other. Not one of us tries to, you know, uh, uh, have authority over. We, we we work together. How can how can humanity have this? How could humanity have that? We want this kind of relationship. We want humanity to enjoy it, and we all thrive on relationship, don't we? We love it. You know, isolate a person, you know, uh, uh, and don't give them any interaction with a human being. It it doesn't do the person's emotional being any good, but connect them with people, give them some kind of communication relationship. My goodness, we long for that. Whatever relationship that may be, fathers and sons, you know, um, husbands and wives, friends, cousins, brothers and sisters, we thrive because of relationship. And God's placed it within us to have relationship because He Himself knew the value of having a great relationship. But we see, God says, how can we give people this joy and peace of such relationship? How can we how can we do this? And apart from all the other style and category of relationships we can have, He says, you know what? We'll have a man and a woman commit to each other in marriage, and we'll give them love for each other that communicates and encouragement, that they'll have each other's back, they'll share experiences, they'll uphold each other, they'll build each other up, they'll make one. they'll um, That'll make them, uh, we want them to have this oneness that we have now. I am not as naive to think that every marriage is just perfect, or every relationship you have is perfect. That doesn't happen. I understand that. But, you know, when a relationship happens well, it's a joy to have a friend, isn't it? It's a joy to have a spouse. It's a joy. And God's saying, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I've got. And this oneness is what I have and I want you to have. And then God says, you know what? As well as this marriage couple coming together and sharing and communicating. Oh, let's let's give them another experience, a oneness and bodily unity as well, which is called sex. And let them enjoy that because that's just the an expression of this incredible oneness that we have. Are you there still? <laughs> See, sex points to the nature of God. Unity and diversity and marriage was created by God to show the world that what God is like. Okay, and so if that's true, then the flip side of the coin must be true as well. So everything that sabotages oneness, Ehad, goes against the nature of God himself. So when you, when you break apart unity and you go against oneness or Ehad, when you tear apart God's created order, you tear we tear ourselves apart as well. And Jesus didn't didn't Jesus say, "What God has joined together, let no man separ- separate or tear asunder"? I think there's an old terminology. There it is. That's why if you talk to a person who maybe has committed adultery or maybe has been cheated on, they may say things like this: "You know, I just feel like I've been torn apart." Or they may just say things like, "You know, my family's been torn apart by this." Now it's not that it's not redeemable. It's not that, you know, it's not that God can't take it when we surrender to Him and just, my goodness, He can do wonderful things. I know married couples that have committed adultery and yet are back together and loving each other and moving forward and all that type of thing. So I'm not trying to in any way say that it's a death sentence. But I want to tell you, it doesn't need to define your life. The past. Any of our past don't need to define our lives today, do they? Because of Christ and what He's done for us. So... But but what we see is people feel torn by this whole thing that happens, adultery. And, and uh, that's literally what's happening. The oneness has been torn apart. So if we go back to the commandment of don't commit adultery, it's not because God hates sex, okay? It's not because God hates you. But it's because God loves you, and God hates anything that tears apart His creation and the people that He loves, okay? That's the reason. Now, in saying all that, what about those of us who are not married? You can say, "Oh, well, this is no good. I'm single, um, and uh, and all those and all the different varieties of singleness, whether you know you're single today, older, or you're single younger, or you're you're looking for a future partner, or whatever that may be. What about us who are not married? Because if adultery pe- tears apart the fabric of marriage, what about if I'm not married? But I'm involved sexually with other people. Okay, got your seatbelts on. <laughs> the truth is, any sexuality, any sexual activities uh, like sleeping around or just um, casual hookups outside of marriage is never can I get away with it. That's not the that's not the question. The question is never can I get away with it. The better question is, how much of my soul am I willing to divide and tear apart? Because every time we involve sexually with a person, I create a oneness uh, that God designed to never be torn apart. And when you give yourself to a different person, it's actually dividing up yourself among many, many people. And leaving yourself with added emotional pain each time. So whether you're single or maybe you're going out with someone or you're just happy to remain single, I want to just also uphold singleness. If you're single today and that's the way you want to be, praise God, bless you. It's good. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not weird, stupid or crazy. Okay, it's okay. And some of us, not by choice, but we're single and that's okay. But if you're single, maybe you're going out or or something like like that. Let's honor God, not for God's sake, but for your sake. Let's honor God for your sake. Because it brings health and life to your soul, we could talk. Uh, so I, I want you to grasp the reality of what God's placed within with the way He's created us in His image and His likeness. His oneness has been transferred into us, and that's why we long for relationships, and that's why we sometimes long. And some of us just, uh, you, you want to get married. That's a, that's a quite a a spiritual response some of us don't that's okay too but you know the the truth of reality is is that his oneness is represented in our relationships that we have because he want, he knows how best we function and how we survive in life so if we were to go from the the cultural perspective to the theological perspective how about just for a moment we look at a practical perspective and this is probably for everybody today let's just talk about that for a moment Because there's some aspects of this that Jesus spoke about in the New Testament that really give us some practical application. How do we keep ourselves pure? How do we keep our mind in the right place? How do we just say, I don't need to go there? Well, here's the first one. Just guard our mind. Just guard our mind. Because you can say to me uh, today, you know, I've never committed adultery. And uh, how does this apply to me? Well, this is how it applies to you. Because all of us have a mind. And all of us have eyes, generally, um, apart from my good man, Sean, here. We see, and when we see, we've got to be careful what we see. We need to guard, because this is what Jesus had something about the seventh commandment. In Matthew 5, he says this, verse 27, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his what? Heart. So you can see what Jesus is doing. He's shifting the focus from the act, which is right down here, the act of adultery or, or, or any sexual uh, illicit stuff, right back here to desire. He says, no, it starts back here, desire. The act is not, you know, if you don't, do you know what I'm saying? If you don't want the act, don't let the desire, don't let it become a a, root, a, a part of your life. And so you can see that Jesus shifts the focus. What's he doing? He's saying the very act, it all has a beginning as a thought, I remember there was there was a man come up to a pastor, not me, uh, and was seeking counsel because he'd come out of adultery. And he says, "Pastor, I'm so sorry for this, but he says I don't know how I got to this point. I don't know what I how how it happened. I don't know how it happened." Pastor says, "I do." He says, "What do you mean?" Well, he says, "Did you ever imagine yourselves uh, being involved with this lady sexually?" He says, "Oh yeah, of course I did." Well, he says, "That's where it started. That's where it started." He had imagined it multiple times, and eventually his thoughts had played out in his actions. And so that's why we need to guard our minds, because what we meditate upon sooner or later will become our habits and our practices. And that's what we've got to be so careful. And you might say, come on, give me a break. You mean to say we can't even look at a person who's handsome or attractive? No, I'm not actually saying that. And I don't think Jesus was saying that. We're all going to notice someone who is attractive or good looking, okay? When I first saw Michelle, I think it was the third time I saw Michelle, something clicked in my brain, uh, probably hormones. um, And I went, now that is an attractive lady. And if, it, if I didn't find her attractive, I probably wouldn't have engaged her in any more communication. I just would have been friendly and nice, but I wouldn't have gone there. But I did. And as I started to talk to her, I found out she was not just beautiful, for me anyway. Beauty is the beho- eye of the beholder. She was just wasn't beautiful on the outside. I thought she's, she's also pretty, pretty good on the inside. She's pretty beautiful on the inside. Lovely nature. good. And so, you know, marriage um, unfolded from there. So here's the point. All of us are susceptible to taking longer looks than we need to. That's what I'm trying to say and all of us get to choose whether we nurture those thoughts or whether we uh, and let them take root in our imagination males or females so we can have sexual fantasies men stop looking at women for too long and ladies stop looking at television shows too long where we create fantasies it, do you know what i'm saying okay could you just shut that back door right now because we don't want anybody to look at no it's okay Job actually said this. I made a covenant in Job chapter thirty-one, verse one, he says, I make a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. I say, good on you, Job. So he wasn't saying that you should never see people. He was just saying, I'm never going to allow the look to go longer. I'm never allowed the imagination to go to start to develop. I'm not going to allow those thoughts to start to create the wrong thoughts that I then want to action. I'm not going to do that. And Job, good on him. I'm glad that's there. So here we go. Number A. Just or number one, guard our minds. Number two, take drastic action. You say drastic action? Yeah, because for, before anyone ever has an affair, they they've told themselves a ton of lies. And the pathway pathway to adultery is paved with deception. I I I tell the person who tells the most lies to me is me. They're always the one who tells them. We're always the one who tells us ourselves the most lies. We justify relationships you know we try to we justify this or justify that not just in regards to adultery or sexual stuff but in regards to life and we find that you know sometimes we can say well I'm just enjoying the other person's you know company or I'm just a work colleague or we're not hurting anyone and and no one lies better than ourselves and Jesus knowing our propensity to justify ourselves throws a cup of water in our face and says come on he says something straight after he says you know um, if you commit adultery, don't commit adultery in your heart. He then says this in Matthew 5. He says, if you're right, I cause you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body uh, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And I read that and I go, is that a literal meaning or a metaphor? <laughs> because Jesus, they're heavy words. But as I look at it, um, what Jesus does here is he knows the destruction of this um, sexual sin and He's using a strong analogy to get your attention to, uh, to an equally strong and destructive action of illicit sexual sin. That's what He's doing, using a strong analogy to deal with a strong sexual desire. So we don't need to gadget out our eye, but Jesus is saying, take whatever it means to stop the temptation or end, come on, to end the uh, indulgence that is tearing you apart. And if you're here today, and uh, there's some sexual issues that you're grappling with. Um, can I just say, talk to someone? People person, obviously, is not going to condemn you, but just stand with you. And if you're here today and you sense you've formed some emotional attachments with someone, can I just say, um, end it? Because to lose a friend with a marriage, um, better to lose a friend than a marriage. And better to lose a colleague than a legacy. The third thing is we need to think long term. Because the problem with desire and fantasy is that it's only ever short term. And fantasy only ever thinks about the pleasures, and fantasy only ever thinks about never thinks about the consequences. And um I never I've never met a man or a woman who fantasizes about family court laws or dividing up their assets child custody. I never said, I never talk about that. never fantasize about, oh, I'm just looking forward to, you know, dividing up my assets with my divorce spouse. Proverbs says six, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. You know, I've discovered playing with fire is really fun until someone gets burned. So what? Just think about the reality. Think about the realities of life, and think about the reality of not acting on wrong thoughts. And think about fifty years down the track, maybe, or when you're celebrating your fifty years of marriage. And think about the legacy you leave and the kids that that behind will go, wow, and proud of you. You know, um, think about those things. Keep those things uh, in favour. Think about the long term, not the short term, because everything that the flesh always likes to appease your short term desires. But we never think about the, con- sometimes we've got to think about the consequences. and Because long term, we, we need, but you know, doing the right thing always appeases your long, your, you know, long term vision. You've got to see it as a future and not just a, because you know, it, it's, it's very easy to indulge something right now. But it's really, um, it's really painful to try and live through that and then deal with it later. So, what have we got? We've just got to uh, guard our minds take drastic action sometimes uh, think long term and so we'll end with this today but so we've talked culturally we've talked theologically we've talked practically but what about pastoral just for a moment can I give you some encouragement because I know this is quite a heavy topic and I really appreciate um, uh, you just uh, hanging in there today Um, but if you're married today one of the best things you can do is invest in your marriage because the grass always looks greener in someone else's yard when you stop watering your own. Invest in what really matters. Because we invest in property, we invest in houses, we invest in education, we invest in a lot of things. But how much time do we give to investment in our marriage? Why don't, why, why, if it's possible, why don't someone look after your children you have a weekend together? okay <laughs> investing sometimes it's just buying book sometimes it's going to do a marriage course whatever it may be uh just invest if you're in a situation that's tempting you today whether it's an adulterous temptation or some sexual issues that are wanting to tempt you talk to someone Find a a friend and uh, help you stay strong. If you're feeling guilty and ashamed, And seek help to blow those things apart. Confession, coming to a Father, receiving forgiveness, moving through that and finding support. You can do it and it's possible. And I want to tell you that our past does not have to define us. Our past does not have to define us where we've gone and what's happened. Some of the stuff that's happened has been, has been stuff that it, it wasn't uh, your doing and, it, and it's been harmful, but i want to tell you our future can look different. And I'm glad that we have a merciful and incredibly gracious God. And as I said, He's a God that, that, that's not trying to um, um, beat you down. He's trying to lift you up. He's trying to, in actual fact, He loves us. He just hates what tears us apart. So we're going to share communion this morning. And we're we going to do that. I'm going to ask those who are sharing communion to come and start to do that. And as the team come up on stage, we're going to close in a moment. But I just want to share one more powerful story that addresses adultery so well. And it's recorded in John uh, chapter 8. And Jesus was preaching in the temple one day. And a woman uh, was dragged out of her the very bed that where she was involved with the man. And... Uh, And she was put before Jesus, thrown at his feet in the actual church service. Um, And as we've said before, and as you've heard about this passage, it's always interesting, it was the woman who was dragged there, where was the man? (laughs) But in John chapter 8, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law. Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? And the Bible says, Jesus stooped down to the ground comes alongside the woman and who is having um, condemnation heaped upon her. And I love the heart of Jesus here. I love what He does and how He responds because He doesn't stand above her pointing a guilty finger, condemning finger at her. But He comes alongside us. And that's what He does. He's done with the woman. He does with us. He comes alongside us and meets us where we're at. He meets us where we're at. And verse 7 says, Jesus says, let let any one of you who is without sin throw the first stone at her. And so those who wanted to stone her left one by one. And uh, why did they leave? Because who knows for all of us, whether we have sinned in this particular category or some other area of maybe greed or or, or, um, whatever it may be, we all, all have done something. Sin, haven't we, we will have wrong there would be a wrong response today to walk out of church and and, and think I'm better than all those other people and and uh, throw a stone of judgment would be a wrong uh, response today because we've all sinned, whether it's pride or greed or whatever it may be as I said but Jesus stood up and then he said in verse 10 he said to the woman is there no one here to condemn you and she looked around and then she says no one And then Jesus responded and said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin what? No more. And if we have a past, I'm just glad we've got that God says, you know, your past is past. We're going to push past that. It doesn't have to define you that we can know the mercy and the grace and the kindness of our Heavenly Father. And if there's one thing out of all the things in life that really clearly depict that and and, and show us, is the, is the incredible illustration of what Jesus did at the last meal He had before He died on the cross. He referenced the reality that, He referenced that we can be forgiven as we take um, this cup, or oh, sorry, the bread first, and we acknowledge, He says, this bread, He said, and He broke it, and He gave it to the disciples that were there, and He says, this bread represents my body. And they're like, they're scratching their head, and He says, you know, my body's going to be broken for you. It's only years later did they realize, and today we can realize that Jesus was referencing an incredibly important part because his body was slain so that we may be forgiven. And out of that body flowed blood. When it was pierced with a sword, when it was whipped on his back, out of that body flowed blood. And, and then he says, you know what? That that blood is represented by this grape juice today, the wine, as it was grape juice. And this and this grape juice and this and this bread represents all of my grace and mercy and kindness. Now, in reference to this lady, I'm just glad that Jesus had already established grace in his heart, and he didn't wait till he had to die on the cross before he was going to ever love anybody. But God loved us even while we're still sinners, doesn't it say that? And so that's why he treated this adulterous woman like that. He says, neither do I condemn you. But the second thing he said was just as important as the first. He says, but go and sin no more. In other words, don't try and live the lifestyle that you've lived before because it'll just take you back into the same ditch that you (laughs) have lived in. That ditch is not good for you. He says, come on, out of that. Out of it. So change your life so so you can experience the health and the blessing that God intended for us. But Jesus came for us. He died for us, He rose for us, so that we can experience victory. He was the first one to defeat death. And you know, sin creates death, but we can defeat death as well. And all the things that we've done and said, we wish we hadn't done and said, we can know forgiveness and we can live on. And it's not that we're going to be incredibly perfect or got it all together, but I'm just thankful that we have a merciful God. And I'm not going to try and, you know, um, press His grace and say, well, I'll just live my lifestyle so then, you know, because I'll have His grace. No, that's not what's going to work. He'll forgive me. Well, He will, but don't keep on living that life because it'll destroy your life. And Jesus just invites us today. So could we stand today? So grateful for a Heavenly Father that that looks at us and and wants us to be drawn to Him. He wants us to walk towards Him, not away from Him. So let me pray. Father, I thank You today for what You've done for us. And this little cup today, this grape juice, represents Your blood that was shed for us, but the little bread on top represents the body that was broken for us. And I'm thankful for that, and I want to receive these elements, knowing that I can have forgiveness and I can move on and I don't have to be defined by my past and what I've done wrong, but I can be defined by a new future in you. So today, folks, as as you take, why don't you just spend a moment, just maybe a reflective moment and say, Father, I just give you my life because it says he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So let's humbly just present ourselves to him. And so I need you, I give you my past, but I'm thankful that you're here it my now and my future. And then eat and drink in remembrance of what He's done for us. And that it wouldn't, His mercy and grace was solidified, was referenced, was reflected to us in His actual death and, and then His burial and His resurrection. And we are so had to be thankful for that then. So let's eat and drink in remembrance of Him this morning.